So second week is talking about prophecies. Um, and as I mentioned last week, the odds of anyone completing one, two, five, eight, a hundred of these prophecies, the more, the more astronomical, but they're crazy, crazy that somebody could in fact fulfill all these prophecies and yet the Lord Jesus did it and there's not a one that he hasn't fulfilled unless it's one that has to do with his second coming. Um, and so anyway, as we look at these, it gives us strength and confidence to know that the prophecies that were supposed to be fulfilled have all been fulfilled and that the ones that are to come, we have all the more confidence in what he said. Um, but I wanna say this, I want you to ask the question today as we talk about this, like what's this prophecy for? What's it about? Why are we talking about it? Does it have anything to do with me? I met with one of the guys, um, he was a senior on the football team earlier this year, and he was really struggling because he felt like he'd grown up in the church and believed it, but as he got older, he began to have questions about his faith. And he really wanted to know, like, is it okay, is it a sin for me to ask these questions? Like, am I challenging God rather than believing in him? And so I said, well, who gave you your brain? Some common sense guy. And so we talked through that, and, and we talked about that questions are okay and questions are good, and you can ask these questions. So I just want to encourage you today, like, what do these prophecies have to do with me? What, why, are, why are they important, and why are we studying them? So don't be afraid to ask that. Um, if I don't offer you any answers, you don't need to tell me after church. Just kidding. All right, so we're going to start. This is our fourth prophecy. will be our first one today. We're going to go back to Isaiah 7, 14. It says, all right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's what we talked about last week when the kids were in the room is that God's with us. What Philip talked about this morning as he led worship and you're welcome, I didn't bring up that the virgin will conceive a child with your kids in the room last week. But we're gonna talk about it today. So as a reminder, this is a 750-year-old prophecy, seven and a half centuries before the virgin conceives a child that um, Isaiah has given this word and speaks on behalf of the anointed one or the Messiah and says that a virgin will conceive a child. And it's miraculous. And one of the things about following Jesus and one of the things about trying to be obedient and follow the Lord is that we walk in the place of miracles, right? And sometimes people cringe or pull back when we step into the miraculous, but this is miraculous. Um, there are scholars for just about everything I've found. And there are scholars who believe it means that she's a young woman. And there are scholars who believe that she, it means specifically that she had not been with a man. And um, <laughs> I, I find as I read scripture that it means that she had not been with a man. That's what makes it miraculous that she becomes the mother of the Christ. It's also what makes Jesus fully God and fully man. And so as we read these passages, to read this passage that affirms the fulfillment of it, I want you to see for yourself how I've got to that uh, conclusion. So Matthew 1, 18 through 23 says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, there you go. 
Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Okay, before I go on, you remember when Jesus meets the lady caught in adultery, that if someone is to have sex outside of marriage, the penalty's pretty great in their culture, right? And Joseph, being a, a young man of great integrity, he doesn't want to, he may be disgraced by the fact that his fiance wound up pregnant, but he doesn't want to shame her. He doesn't want her to, so he's trying to figure out a way to quietly end the marriage because he doesn't feel like it's of God would be my assumption in reading this. So we go on and read. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God is with us. And so I want us to think about, one, that this is fulfilled, right, through this miraculous birth. But two, I want us to think about a couple things that jump out at me. And one is this, is that as we look at Scripture and see how God moves, that he always does extraordinary things with ordinary people. And Mary is maybe one of the greatest examples of that. That here's this teenager engaged to be married, who's done nothing wrong. In fact, the Lord has chosen her because she has found favor with him, right? And he takes her and makes her the mother of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And, and we remember that Luke one thirty seven, nothing's impossible with God, right? And we see it here. The other thing that I want to see is that obedience costs Right, like she says yes to this. When the angel first visits her, she has a question or two for him, which is fair, right? And then she says, so be it, right? Like, may everything you said happen just the way you said it. Like, you can, I'm okay with it. I'm saying yes to you, right? And, and so I want you to think for a second in this culture where a pregnancy outside of a marriage could be penalized by stoning someone, to death, that she's willing, right? Like it's, you, you, you're, you're in church, you know how church people can be, right? I mean, not us, but you know, certain church people, right? And they, and they um, will say, and also parents, you know, I've noticed can be a little competitive about their kids, and if you say, well, this one is the Messiah, and um, we didn't, you know, we didn't conceive him out of a wedlock, but the Holy Spirit came upon me, and that's his origin. That I'm sure her friends were like, yeah. Right, right, Mary. You know, I mean, let's be real, right? Just because it's in Scripture doesn't mean they didn't have to walk it out. And so as this happened, and Mary's parents probably knew, and Joseph's parents probably knew, and Mary knew, and Joseph knew, and they encountered angels, and they heard these words, they still had to walk it out. They still had to walk across the village and get water. They still had to leave and go to Bethlehem to register for the census and still had to have people say things about them. And probably all through Jesus' young life, there was an asterisk on this pregnancy and on this child. I'm just guessing, right? If, 
unless people were just wildly different then than they are now. That's kind of how I read this and what I see in it. And so yet, her plans to marry Joseph and to be a faithful girl and to honor God with her life, like her plans changed. Do you agree with that? Like that she had some plans, I'm sure, as she's preparing to get married, and those plans changed. And yet, at the end of the story about Christ, and it tells of his birth in Luke 2, it says that she thought about all these things, and she held them in her heart and thought about them often. And like, just imagine what Mary got to see, and how well she knew Christ, and how, you know, just, if you think for a second what her experience was versus what she had planned for herself. And I just want to encourage you with that this morning, that this idea that we have plans for ourselves, in a lot of ways, they don't compare at all to the plans that the Lord has for us. And we shouldn't be so tripped up when we face the cost up front. I think that's one of the great lessons we can learn from Mary. Okay, so moving on to our fifth prophecy, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Um, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. And then on down in verse five, and he will be the source of peace. So again, this is about 600 years before Christ is born. The prophet Micah shares this prophecy that this is what they expect, is that Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. And this is the place Though Joseph and Mary were both from Nazareth, because Augustus has decrees that a census will be taken throughout the entire Roman Empire, that he and Mary, while she's pregnant, very pregnant, travel from Nazareth to to Bethlehem. And she has Jesus there, which fulfills this prophecy. And what's funny to me about it is, is that and not funny, but like ironic, is this, is that they leave, it sounds like within a couple of years of that, of being in Bethlehem, and race off to Egypt because Herod is trying to kill all the young men to wipe out the king or the Messiah that he's afraid about, that he doesn't know a lot about. And so when they come back and settle, they come back and settle in Nazareth. So, you know, like, in everybody's mind, he's from Nazareth. And this was actually a stumbling block. If you look at John 7... Verses 41 and 42, others said he is the Messiah. Still others said, but he can't be. The Messiah, will the Messiah come from Galilee, meaning Nazareth? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So he fulfills his prophecy, although not everybody's clear about it because it was his early life where he was in Bethlehem. And so two ideas about this prophecy jump out at me. One is that his origins are in the distant past. You guys in John 1.1 know that it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And it's this idea that Jesus has always been. God the Father has always been a father, and Jesus Christ, his son, has always been the son. Right? And so his origins are of distant past. And even as he doesn't banter, but he discusses back and forth with the scholars in John chapter 8 and says that he was before Abraham. As more kind of evidence, mounting evidence, that he is this guy that's not from our time or time, for that matter, 
but he comes from eternity. And so it makes it all the more crazy that he was born to Mary and that in John 1.14 it says he became flesh and lived among us. And so this was all foretold that, that he who was would, and, and is would come into our existence and walk as we walk. And then the second thing is that he will be the source of peace. You hear a lot Isaiah 9 in the Christmas season, verse 6 and 7, that talk about that a child is born, a son is given, and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, and Prince of Peace, right? And then in John 14, 27, as he's getting ready to say goodbye to his disciples, he says to them, but I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, right? And I love that he says it like that because what, what's peace if it's not peace of mind and heart, right? To settle us and to calm us down and to, you know, just have that sense of we know, we know him. And that's the gift that he gives us. And here it is, you know, from 600 years before he was gonna be born that he's the source of peace. Isaiah 9, he's the Prince of Peace. And Micah 5, that he's the source of peace. And so these first and second prophecies say to me this, that he's the king, right? He's the one that was prophesied, that, that he is the one that's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He is God's son. That's what these first couple of prophecies testify to. So why did this king come? And our third prophecy today is our sixth prophecy overall is that, that he will set the captives free. In Isaiah 61, Isaiah, again, prophesying, saying this is who the Messiah is gonna be. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. So this is written near the end of Isaiah's life. It's toward the end of the book of Isaiah and it's a promise the Messiah will come and he will set captives free and bring good news to the poor. And so where it's fulfilled, Jesus actually fulfills it in Luke chapter four when he comes home to Nazareth and he goes to teach in the synagogue and it says, when he came to the village of Nazareth, this is Luke four sixteen, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. And then it, he says exactly what I just read to you in Isaiah 61. Then he rolls up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Like, he, like, can you picture that? He, he's, everybody's looking at him and he's about to say this and he says, then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Like in the middle of their normal religious ceremony, Jesus comes in and says, you know the I am, the one whose name you won't even say? I'm him. Which just, drives them crazy. They're like, well, who do you think you are? You're Mary's son. And there's an asterisk by you already, right? 
But this is the point, more than fulfilling prophecies, which is awesome and increases our trust and our faith, is that he came to set us free. Like each and every one of us, he came that we would know him and by knowing him that we would be set free. John 8, I mentioned a minute ago, Jesus, again, is talking to people who believe in him and those that are challenging him. And he says, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. This is John 8, 31 through 36. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we're descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you'll be set free? I I always think that's funny because, like, do you remember them coming out of Egypt? Anyway, maybe it was the heat of the moment. They weren't thinking. Um, Jesus replies, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Amen, right? Can anybody identify with that? That like everyone who sins is a slave to sin. I can. I can identify with that. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. This is not about where we're born. This is not about what we've done. This isn't about what tribe we belong to. This isn't about our heritage. This isn't about if we completed the spiritual obstacle course and done all the things that we're supposed to do. It's not about if your good stuff's more than your bad stuff. It's not about any of that. It's about knowing Christ. And this, that he's come to restore and redeem and have a relationship with us, upsets the religious establishment because they had rules, right? Which is what we do, if we're honest. We do the very same thing, right? That we have rules. There's things you can do and things you can't do. Right? And when you do the things you can't do, then you, you can't belong. But really, this is about him, and it's about knowing him and trusting him and bringing him glory by the more that we trust in him. And his purpose from the beginning is life transformation. That's what we as a church are about, is the Lord changing us and through us changing the people that are around us. I used to say in my old job, we'd have these meetings, like I'd have to fly from San Antonio up to Dallas. It was like a we called them the little board meeting. There was a big board meeting where the two owners decided what we were going to do, and then they came to the little board meeting and told us how it was going to go, right? So it was actually like, could have just sent us an email. Um, but we had the meeting nonetheless. And usually um, these days were long and confusing. And at the end, when they said, does anybody have any questions? I would always say, get made fun of for saying, we sell forklifts, Right? Is that's like, when I go home, I need to know what to do. And I don't know what we talked about today, but I just want to know we still sell forklifts. And so what I want to say to you as a church is, we're about knowing Jesus and making him known. That's it. That's our purpose, and that's what we do. And, and I think if, if you're honest, and I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes we get caught up in doing good and doing right. And recently in the news... It's been all over the place. This rapper, Kanye West, came to faith in Christ, right? And I'm curious what your reaction was. Like, I don't know that I want to say my first reaction to you, but I was skeptical, right? And I wonder why we challenge transformation when that's what this whole thing, all these prophecies Jesus coming is about as a life being changed. That here's this guy who's admitting 
that he's been addicted to porn since he was five. And he's had this wild lifestyle and he comes to faith. And like he put an album out in the name of it's Jesus is King. That's pretty good. That checks off a box for me. (laughs) And yet, you know, we struggle because he's a mess. Like we know him as a mess. But if we look ourselves in the mirror and we're honest before the Lord, like we're a mess too, right? I want you to listen to these lyrics, which just before we get to this like chorus down at the end, he says, Christians are gonna be the first ones to judge me. This is his song, Hands On. He says, I deserve all the criticism you got. That's all the love you have, that's all you got. To sing of change, you think I'm joking. To praise his name, you ask what I'm smoking. Yes, I understand your reluctancy, yeah. But I have a request, you see, don't throw me up. Lay your hands on me. Please pray for me. People who come to faith in Jesus whose lives are miraculously changed shouldn't have to beg the church to pray for him. Amen? Like, he came to set the captives free. It's miraculous. It's supernatural. If we get it wrong and somebody makes a fool out of us, who cares? Right? Let's not be the people that were terrified that the naked demoniac now was clothed and peacefully sitting before Christ. Let's expect that. Let's not be the ones that challenge that a virgin has a baby because it was promised, right? Or that the young couple outfoxes the king and gets away to Egypt, right? Because of course the Lord took care of his son. And then even a crazy man who in our public life is set free from addictions, I hope and pray, and has come to faith in Christ and is singing about him. See, the baby came for you and for me and for Kanye. And it says in Luke 2 that this is good news for great joy for all people. Right? And Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so what I want to say to you today is, Let's be set free so that we can help others find their way to Christ so they can know him and they can be set free. And here's how I want to finish today. I'm going to say a prayer in a minute. I'm going to give you just a minute before I pray. If there's anything in you where you don't feel free, guilt, shame, something, some event in your life or your past, we're just going to bow our heads and sit where we sit but I'm gonna give you a chance to take that to the Lord and let him do what he promises to do to set us free. Like if you walked in and you're a slave to sin, I want you to walk out free. Jesus can do that. We agree? Yeah? All right, let's pray. I'm gonna give you just a minute and I want you to imagine yourself before a loving heavenly father who delights in you He did all these prophecies and all these things so that he could know you. And I want you to know that he will meet you here today. So I'm gonna give you about 30 seconds. If there's anything that you feel like keeps you from being clean with him, I want you just to lay it at his feet and ask him to forgive you.
Lord, thank you that you're a father. You're not this angry God in the sky, but you're a father who's with us, who's gone to great lengths to free us. I pray for anybody who's in bondage to anything that you would set them free this morning. Lord, I pray that we would be clean before you, that who the sun sets free is free indeed, that that would be the thing that we cling to as we walk through this week, that we would be a church, Lord, where we get to share that good news with other people and we expect to see you do crazy great things through ordinary people like us. Lord, we just commit ourselves to you. We ask for you to move. In Christ's name we pray, amen.